0: the coaches network bringing the game together tremendous exercise
1: for coaches anywhere is to really be clear on their values and beliefs their own
2: personal values and beliefs hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name is coach yas and i'm a UEFA a licensed football coach coach developer and content creator I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Welcome back guys to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas and today I'm joined by my co-host Ben. Ben, if you just let the listeners let know a bit about yourself if they don't already know.
3: Yeah, hi guys. Uh, UEFA Masters in Sports Coaching and currently coaching in the Cat 2 Academy.
2: Brilliant. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Simon Jones. Simon is the Head or coach developer at Chelsea Football Club um Simon, if you just wanna just let listeners a bit about yourself you we'll get straight into it in terms of where you started your journey from, obviously not a traditional football background um coming from a tennis background um do you mind just talking a bit about how you got into the coaching world? And then how you eventually transitioned into the football side of things? Sure, lads.
1: Uh, firstly, thanks for
2: having me on your podcast, and uh, lo- you know, looking forward to it. Um, I started
1: my coaching journey. Uh, I was a uh, full-time professional tennis player. Uh, my level was I played at Wimbledon qualifying, so I was okay. You know, in football terms, it was probably Division Two, non-league level. So I was doing well, but not really you know, he- heading for the big lights as a player. And uh, I started to do a little bit of coaching when I was, when I was playing just to sort of finance my, uh, my playing. Uh, but actually, I find I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I then spent several years in my early 20s doing something that didn't exist much in tennis at the time, which was a sort of a player coach. So I would play a little bit and coach a little bit and, um, and actually found that I really, really enjoyed coaching and teaching people. Um, and, of course, with the medium of, uh, of tennis and the high level that I got to, it enabled me to, to get a good little coaching business sorted out. So, um, you know, I worked as a private coach for 10 years and then I worked for the Federation, the Lawn Tennis Association. I worked for them in the high performance team for 30 years then. Uh, And I've got a wide range of experiences across all different sorts of coaching, Um, developing coaches, running coach education programs um, and working at the very highest level. So big, big experience in tennis. And then probably about eight years ago, uh, somebody that I've worked with in the Premier League, um, uh, he, he was working for the Premier League. Uh, was, was a person that I'd worked very closely with at the University of Bath where I was based uh, and that was a chap called Jed Roddy uh, and Jed was the director of sport at Bath where I worked and he also then became the sort of um, head of football at the Premier League and he asked if I might be involved, like to be involved in supporting some of the uh, the coaches in football um, on what was what's known as the ECAS programme uh, and I thought this was a really interesting project for me to do and uh I started to, I, I signed up and I was a mentor for some football coaches across various clubs. Um and then one thing led to another. I did a little bit more at a few clubs and a little bit more at a few clubs. Um and now I, I spend my time having left the LTA uh working uh in for two people really the Premier League where I where I mentor uh coaching and also for Chelsea where I uh, I work as their coach developer, so it sort of blended in, and it became more and more and less and less tennis, um, and that's how I've got to where I am. Uh,
2: yeah, so just honestly, you know, just go back and looking back at your journey a little bit. Like, um in that, you know, you started obviously, you know, heavily in the in the tennis world, and you ended up transitioning into football via, you know, the the work of the Premier League and whatnot. I, what would you say are the major things that Coaches can transfer from, you know, and it will, essentially. Coaching is is a massive is a massive concept in itself. It's a, you know, it, some would argue it's, it's almost a, it's a craft and it's, a, it's an art in some ways. But coaching tennis is very different to coaching football. What would you say? Are, you know, some of the key things that you've brought with you in 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 terms of skill set that have allowed you to kind of take that journey into football coaching and I guess be approached to even be part of the Ecas program as well. Yes, well, it's a good question. but uh, And as I got involved in football, what I discovered was
1: that football and tennis are actually very similar sports in many ways. Obviously, yeah. they look different, and there's the fundamental difference between team and individual. But, you know, the, the sports are very similar. They're both traditional sports handed down from generations, ideas handed down. Um, they're both game-orientated sports. Uh, Winning mentality, tactics, uh, the competitive frameworks, very, very prominent in coaching. And a lot of the coaches come from the same background. So a lot of coaches in football come from a playing background and a lot of coaches in tennis come from a playing background. Um, Tennis uh, tennis players tended to leave school slightly earlier and play. Um, and you know, I found very uh, lots of similarities in football as well. So a lot, a, a lot of similarities. And if you were to sort of not know the sports, and you were speaking to the coaches in the two different domains, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So lot of the issues were the same. And um, the big thing, of course, is the difference between an individual yeah. sport and a team sport. And w- what I found in in tennis is, Especially. you know, tennis coaches spend a lot of time working one on one with an individual player doing a lot of skill development Uh, and that's probably where they are strong. And when I went into football, I saw this, you know, this group training environment with a high level of motivation and lots of good tactical work going on as well. Um, And I sort of saw, you know, an, uh, an area where football could have learned from tennis. And by the way, when I was doing both sports for, for you know five or six years, I was also taking the stuff from uh, the elements from football coaching and helping the tennis coaches learn from them. So tennis coaches were learning very much about the intensity with which football coaches were creating in the sessions. Um, but I was you know sort of cross wiring it, and the the piece that i that I still bring to to football I, uh, and which I hope is of added value is the understanding of working with an individual uh, and developing their skills, which we do you know by by natural course in tennis
3: yeah, I just wanted to delve um, a bit a bit deeper into that so uh, you 've already touched on there certain aspects of uh, football that. <laughs> Uh, you found that could have been transferred uh, to tennis coaching. In regards to the sort of individual development uh, within tennis, what what sort of practical aspects are we talking about that can be transferred into football?
1: Well, I think um, specifically uh, when, when in tennis, when you're working with individual players, you're not working with them at the same time. You're working with a player and then you stop working and then you work with another player. So getting, mm. getting to know that player, Uh, really intimately as a person and what makes them tick. In tennis, you have the opportunity to do that. So you have um, more time with them, basically. And and as you go up the ladder, you get more and more time with them. So, for example, you know, when I was travelling on the tour, I would spend all day, every day with one player. So you get to know Mm -hmm. them intimately and you see how the more holistic things going on uh, outside their sport... Affect the sport itself, um, so that would be one thing. I also think that the demands on one-to-one communication uh, in, in tennis are quite higher because you're the only, you know, you're the only one. So, you know, we can we can learn in a team sport how to communicate with each individual differently. Um, so that would be an, that would be another example of the sort of things. Um, but also the, the, the detail around skill development. When, when you're working with a, with a tennis player, you'll work on one skill and you'll progress it uh, with a lot of detail over a longer period of time. And, of course, the challenges mm. in a team sport is that coaches don't have that, that, that time because they're organising the group and coordinating the training. Um, so what I've tried to do is to find ways in football where a coach can spend more time working individually with a player during a session and following through and progressing the level, uh, the stages of skill development when they want to uh, um, improve the player. Um, so those are the sort of, those are the sort of areas that i found different. Just
2: on that, you know, Coming back to the first point you made a bit about you know really developing an intimate connection with the player and obviously being around, I mean, the reality is it's no. it's, that's, it's not it's going to be as practical as that when you're working in football, is it? I mean, and I think what we are starting to see obviously, the, you know, with certain clubs and certain a bit more tailored around certain people, and I think closest thing to what you've described there is almost. That goalkeepers union with the goalkeeper coaches and the goalkeepers in that respect, where they do spend a <laughs> lot of time together. So, really, would you say
3: yes.
2: coaches who are maybe not in a position right now with relationships, but hoping to build a relationship, but they're actually they're not in a position when I say that because they're actually working in larger groups. How would you advise coaches to go about developing those deeper connections with those players, given those those can?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and if I can, you know, just pick up on a couple of things that you that you said there. The one thing I did notice, I noticed that the goalkeeping coaches work closer; that they're they're much closer to the way tennis coaches would work. Actually, I've yeah. I've, I've noticed that a lot, but not only in their the progression of skill development, but the relationships that they have with the with the player in in between yeah. the sessions as well. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's an a- absolute great spot from you there. Um. I I think what, you know, just to touch on the period, we're just, you know, we're in this lockdown period now and just coming out of it. Um, One of the things that we found in in the people that I work with is during lockdown, the coaches have got to know the players a lot better. Um, They've got got to know their family circumstances a lot better. They've got to know where they live, their interests. Um, And and certainly the coaches reporting back to me that this is something that they want to carry on and they see the benefits of it. So whilst I'm not saying it's anywhere near possible to do it in the way tennis does, because it's, they're, they're totally different like that, I do, I do think that the uh, you know, coaches of the future will find ways to develop more relationships with players. They'll, they'll spend more time with them, understanding what their backgrounds are, are like and what they do outside the sport. Um, and they'll start to see, once they start to see the relevance and the importance of this, I think that they'll be encouraged to find more ways
2: to do it. Mm. I just want to take you back a little bit there. You know, you've touched on your transition from tennis into football with being part of the Premier League initiative of the ECAS. For those that don't know, do you mind just giving us a bit of detail around what the ECAS programme actually is?
1: OK, so uh, the, a little bit of history. So uh, about nine, eight, nine years ago, the Premier League decided that they wanted to support coaches uh, in English in English football um Premier League academies, um, um, and they did several interventions. One, one, most listeners to this call will know what the EPPP is, which is an audit uh, standard-raising programme uh, implemented by the Premier League uh, to go in line with the funding. Um, but another element was the Elite Coach Apprenticeship Scheme, uh, ECAS. Um, and uh, I, I can remember at the start, each Premier League academy had to nominate a coach to go on the ecas program uh, and it was a two year uh, program where they were residential um, residential workshops but looking at things looking at things beyond the technical tactical elements of their of their education or developing their leadership skills their communication skills perhaps some critical thinking skills to give them a wider skill set to be Uh, you know, you know, better coaches. And part of the ECAS program was, as I say, they did residentials, I think six residentials over two years. But they also had a what was known as a coaching cell, um, where in their coaching cell, they had a master football coach from the club. Uh, They had a life skills mentor, which um, very uh, often was a sports psychologist. Uh, and then they had a coaching mentor, somebody from another sport with a lot of experience at a high level of coaching. Um, and that was where I fitted into the picture as the coaching mentor on the coaching cells. And that's how I first got involved in it. So uh, the ECAS program, two years, residentials, mentoring program. Uh, and then they finally graduated out of the program at the end of the, at the end of it.
2: Right, so you mentioned a you know a very interesting point there about the coaching side. Just for the listeners, you might just go into a bit of detail about what that is, and then maybe providing some advice, you know, guidance on what you think maybe coaches who are not in those environments where they've got access to a coaching side, so, so to speak, could go about developing a similar sort of concept of you know networking with a group of coaches, or where they could find potential, um, I guess, avenues support in forming that coaching girl.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I like the coaching cell so much that, that you know now, now I've left tennis, I'm sort of working privately um, with the different clubs, as I as I said. I I like the coaching cell so much that I've taken the methodology with me wherever I go. I I think it's a fantastic concept. Um, and basically, what you've got is a situation where, um, uh, and I've been this is one of the things I've been really impressed in football with. Is the ability of uh, the the willingness of coaches to want to learn Mm -hmm. Um, the you know compared to some other sports that I've worked with football coaches really have a great thirst for learning so the coaching cell works very well in football and and what you've got is you've got. People coming with different disciplines. So, as I, as I mentioned earlier, maybe a sports psychologist, maybe a lead phase coach, maybe a, a coach developer. But it, but it can be other people as well. It could be a actually, for example, it might even be a, a trusted parent of the players that can give a different perspective. But a group of people that are there solely to support the coach that's in the middle of the cell and to help that coach. Uh, critically think about his coaching um, and come up with ideas where they may uh, develop further Um, and it's not an easy thing to do on your own to actually just come up with those things on your own but once you've got a group of people around you that are committed to help you then the conversations flow uh, and and lots of good learnings can come out of it Um, a, a large part for me about Co- coaches, developing coaches, is to support them with their critical thinking, mm.
3: um,
1: and to really, really get them to park. Uh, and I'm not going to say park egos here because that's the wrong. Uh, that's not what I mean. But park their own insecurities, park their own biases, park their own thoughts and try to open their mind up to other other people's perspectives on things and to and and, and to critique them and to think about them. And, you know, why is that person saying that? If I tried that, would it be any difference? What, what other things could I have tried? And once you get that, once you get the coach to start to think like that, that the opportunity for learning is immense um, but it's not an easy thing to do on your own. You need trusted pe- you need trusted people around you, uh, and that's why I like the coaching cell concept a,
2: a, a, a lot. And, you, you know, you talk a bit about, you know, parking you know, parking you know, what, what do you feel are some practical steps that make some possible, I guess, to put themselves in that mindset? Because I think that should within... Specifically, more particularly in football, I'm, you know, I'm not too too sure whether, and I, I would I would like to believe that it probably is the same in other industries as well. There is an ego element attached to coaches. Um, I think we all like to feel that we know what we're doing, we know what we're talking about. And some of us welcome criticism with open arms and, and constructive criticism in that respect, um, but some people are very stubborn and others very. Uh, very ignorant to, the, to any, anything else outside of their own thoughts. So, What would you say is the practical steps that coaches take to kind of overcome that and be able to pass those insecurities, as you put it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean you're, you're exactly right. And it's, you know, it's not a simple thing that we're talking about here. It's quite mm-hmm. a complex thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's why I was sort of hesitant on the word ego. I don't want to, to make the word ego sound like a negative thing. We, we all have to have egos because that's our self-confidence and that's our belief in what we, in, in what we think. Um, what I would encourage coaches to do, though, is to be really, really clear on their own beliefs and what they believe in and, and really clear on them. Write them down, you know, constantly reflect on them and refer back to them. But, but then when you're safe and secure on that, then go and challenge them. Ask people to challenge them in, in, this, in the knowledge that you're, you're safe and secure on them. So the, the, most, uh, the best critical thinking coaches that I work with, they're always asking questions. They're always asking mm. for feedback, but they're always very, very sort of strong on their own beliefs. So they're not railroaded by feedback sometimes you get some feedback and it completely changes one's ideas and it you know loses your confidence in what you're doing and second guesses you and makes you confused but the best coaches that I that that I've worked with the more the more critical thinkers are the ones that are very clear on what they believe in and then once they have that confidence then they open their mind up to others and you know i was like like many others uh, and guys that will be listening to this uh during the lockdown period i've I've increased the amount of time i've listened to uh podcasts and to webinars and you know f- following many different people in sports and sports and business and, and, and one of the things i personally noticed is that i park my judgment of people's ideas less now having having listened to a a wider, a more diverse group of people who sometimes I might have thought, well, what does anybody from the retail industry going to, you know, how can I learn anything from the retail industry? Or I don't like his accent or, so, you know, something like that. Um, I, I've noticed in myself over the lockdown period that I've actually parked those judgments even more than, I've, than, I, than I had done in the past. And that's really, really, really helped me. Because it's opened, it's opened my mind up.
3: Yeah, Alex. just in regards to um, the critical thinking aspect of it, like how important do you feel, um, like the uh, coach developing the reflection skills play in that? Because it feels it's kind of like a informal sort of practice that I, I perceive as in football coaching that is not encouraged enough in terms of like post session reflections and the method of how to do it.
1: Yeah. yeah so you're so right, Ben. Um, and, and what I, uh, I mean, I, uh, reflection skills are so critical to uh, one, one's development. But what, I, what I, I've discovered and what I'm thinking is you can't just say reflect because it's mm. a skill in itself. So by developing one's critical thinking skills, you know, asking questions, parking biases, etc., what that enables you to do then is to reflect better. Um, so, hundred percent, you know, coaches' ability to look at what they've done, try and uh, really uh, focus on what they wanted to achieve. Did they really achieve it? What could they have done differently? If they had done something differently, what would they have? What would have made them do it? How would they have known it was successful? Uh, what are you going to do next time to build on it? You know, those sort of. Uh, frameworks of questioning yeah. are, are they're quite skillful to do it actually you, you can't just do it you need to practice it a lot and um, but you know reflection is massive you know one, one of the things I believe very much on as well is you know, we talk about reflection is after the event but if you don't set out what you want to achieve before the event it's difficult to hold yourself account to it in a way so very often coaches, we go through the process because coaches, I mean, they work so hard. They, they Sometimes it's seven days a week, lots and lots of hours. Um, and, you know, what happens is they don't have time to actually sit down and think about what they want to achieve to enable quality reflection after it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I go back to my tennis life where we used to earn our money by the hour. Um, and we used to just do eight hours a day coaching to try and get the money. <laughs> mm. So it was a r- real task to set out what you really wanted to achieve and then the real task to do the reflections at the end. Definitely. Um, just but it, just yeah. on
3: that,
2: answer, you, talk, you touched on something earlier about coaches in football in particular, from your, from your observation, your experience, having that uh, you know, almost a heightened thirst for learning. Why do you think that is... Do you, or,
1: um, do you know what i think i mean i, I what I think is I, i'm in, I'm so impressed with how passionate football coaches are about the sport it, it It's amazed me how much they know about the sport and how how passionate they are about every element of it and all the players and the, ta- the tactics and the t- and the techniques I have to say i mean i feel i'm becoming one of them as well by the way <laughs> um, you know it's a deep it's a deep passion about the sport, so I think the curiosity to know more is actually embedded, um, and probably in football you don't realise it because it's just the culture. But yeah. stepping from the outside, I've noticed that a lot, um, and also I think that the another element that's that's on a slightly different uh, purpose is that it's quite competitive football coaching. You know, it's hard. To, there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches out there. I mean there 's a lot of jobs and a lot of activity, but there 's a lot of coaches um, and I think coaches know that the you know to learn and to get better um, you know there's a a lovely, uh, the, the lovely way of looking at it is the the gap between where you are now and where you want to be is normally learning and education that 's how you fill that gap yeah. um, and I sense that coaches in football get that. Uh, so that's what, you know, that's why I get the feel that they're very hungry for their own learning. Mm. And it's it's more about helping them do that as opposed to trying to persuade them to do it. It's helping them do that and understand ways in which they can do it. Like the conversation I just had with Ben on reflection. Hmm.
2: Definitely. And just, you know, going more into into your role, I mean, We've had conversations in the past and, you know, your role is, you know, coach developer. But I think in conversation with the past, you've actually referred to yourself as more of a, a talent developer. Just talk a bit about that and, you know, what your you know your thought process is and your perspective is on that aspect of things.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I mean, I would refer to myself as a talent developer, but I would also re- refer to coaches in a... Uh, you know, Cat One, Cat Two, Cat Three Academies as talent developers, um, and and the reason for this is that, you know, I, I know it, I know at the start. So, if I can backtrack a little bit. So, at the start, I know you were talking to me about bridging the gap between, between you know high performance coaching and, and, and more developmental coaching. Um, when when I was a tennis coach, in in a club, you coach all comers, all comers. So I was literally working with uh, four housewives, and then the next hour I'd be working with a top 100 player. So that's in, back in the day. That's how that's how you worked. So you saw the big difference between uh, coaching developmental uh, people and actually high performers. You, you could see the difference. You could also see where there were similarities. By the way, there was a lot of similarities. But the big difference is that when you're in a high performance environment as a coach, you, the, you are coaching players that have a future in the sport. In theory, they have a future and you have a responsibility to them to make their future in the sport the best it possibly can be. So you don't have a responsibility to teach them the sport you have a responsibility to further their, fu- to further their future. Uh-huh. So when I talk about talent development, you know, f- football coaching in an academy environment, for example, is just the medium by which you develop that talent. And if you were to you know, make, a, make a silly, uh, make a silly uh, comparison here, but if you could improve somebody's prospects by getting them to spin plates, then you, you get them to spin plates you do whatever it takes to develop that talent and you look and and you look at them on a highly individual basis some players like to play more than others some players respond to a more robust type of communication than others some players uh read the game differently to others and, and looking at looking at talent on an individual basis and looking at it holistically is what i would call talent development as opposed to just pure coaching. Mm. There's a lot more than um, you know. The lovely expression that we have, the X and the O's. There's a lot more than that uh. to developing talent, um, and we've touched on it in this conversation. Actually, you know, the way you get to know players more and look at look at them on an individual basis. Um, but it's you know, uh, talent is also being the ability to spot potential versus current performance. Mm. to it's, See it's something in a player. To be able to manipulate their program a little bit to get the best out of them, to challenge them to the edge of their competency, mm. which sometimes can be uncomfortable, but it needs to be done. And other times it shouldn't be done. And all of that I put in the I put in the category of talent development as opposed to coaching. I, I, yeah. I hope that I hope that makes sense. I mean, yeah, It's that's, yeah, that's a bit abstract in my mind, but <laughs> it's, it's different. You
3: know, yeah. Like, that was well explained. Um, I just wanted to ask a question in in regards to uh, developing coaches. So, like, there's this, uh, there's this like buzzword that has been going around this past couple years now uh, amongst football coaches in, in in terms of philosophy. And uh, a lot, a lot of a lot of the times, so, sometimes people uh, kind of mix mix up like playing philosophies and coaching philosophies. Uh, in regards to like coaches that may as an individual have um you know like slightly different f- philosophies right. to, than what the the club had like as as, as like administered what what, what sort of uh, advice would you have for them in terms of developing themselves in a place where it's, it's not like completely aligned with them, and I think that's like a reality that you know a lot of coaches will face you' never you're never going to be in a club that is absolutely got To be in line with everything that you think, so like, unless you're the chairman, <laughs> yeah, unless you're the chairman. Uh, so, like, what sort of advice would you give for coaches in terms of developing their coaching skills in such environments like that?
1: Yeah, you know, what a cracking question that is. Um, first, first and foremost, uh, a, a tremendous exercise for coaches anywhere is to really be clear on their values and beliefs. Their own personal values and beliefs, and like we were talking about, you know, reflecting earlier and critical thinking. Before, unless you really know what you believe in, um, you, you you've got that's the starting point. And um, you know, one coach, for example, when I when I, uh, I, I worked with this uh, head of coaching, tremendously experienced guy, and he said to me, he really believes that adults get in the way of. It. And, and, you know, it's a clear belief with him and and his whole practice and the way he worked demonstrated that. And because he had the clarity of that belief, it enabled him to operate in a way where he was really effective. Mm. So I think it's important to think about very clearly what your beliefs and your values are. Now, that doesn't mean... That when you then go into a club environment and they have uh, uh, different beliefs and values, that doesn't mean that you're like a rebel (laughs) in any in any environment. You're talking about football coaching here, but in any environment, when you work for a business, when you work you know elsewhere, you, you have to work within that environment and, hmm. and the rules, the regulations the processes, the values, and the beliefs of the organization that 's what you 're signing up to and you have to and, and you have to do it and if it 's a real compromise to your own values and beliefs, then you make the choice to leave that environment um, but i don 't think it 's ever as extreme as that um, what I like the idea of, and uh, certainly in the environments that, that I'm, I have the privilege to work in, is we, we don't believe in um, strict, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do the other. We believe in some real strong values and principles, uh, but we also believe that coaches aren't robots, uh, and that great coaching uh, enables the coach to express himself and to be innovative and creative. And and that's where great learning for players comes from. So I'm not a great fan of uh, curriculums that say on a Monday you do this, on a Tuesday you do this, on a Wednesday you do this. But we do need some structure and framework to work with and to, which is the organisational values and beliefs. But within it a coach should be able to express their own, um, their own beliefs. But if they don't know what they are in the first place, then they're not going to get anywhere. So, so it's kind of, um, you know, it's a long-winded answer to your question. Um, and whether you call them, you know, philosophies or values and beliefs, I mean, there'll be more words for them coming in the future. But, <laughs> yeah. what, you know, what do you believe in? Um, and and I, I encourage you lads to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what do you really believe in? Uh, you, know, you know what do you really believe in when i was a younger coach somebody asked me that question um, and i came up with it uh, after a while and it stayed with me forever and hmm. you know i know exactly uh, exactly what i believe in what my what my uh philosophy yeah. or beliefs might be yeah i uh, guess
3: okay you know, I just um, think,
2: just on that thing I mean, <laughs> what is uh, very interesting in contrast is you can have your beliefs and, you know, they, like, as you said, your beliefs are stuck with you, but there's nothing wrong with actually over time changing those beliefs because of certain things that you've had exposure to, is it? Oh, of course. As for a lot of coaches, I think, go find it find it a bit difficult. say, no, this is what I believe in. They stay very headstrong on that.
1: Yeah, of course. Of, of course. But I think the, you know, the appreciation that there is no one way to do this uh, if a coach in any sport in any environment feels that there's only one way to do this, um, then I think they probably have a, the doors shut on on something there. Um, because even if they are tremendously successful, then the next generation of players are different different kids. Hmm. Um, so I don't I, I, I don't think there is one way to do it. Uh, and as you say it. It should change over time because Generation Z are different to Generation Y, <laughs> mm. different to Generation X. We we know that, you know, the economical society, all of those things are changing drastically in front of our noses. And, you know, COVID is going to create another one for us. Um, so there's no one way to do it, but uh, mm. it all depends upon you know, the context but you have to know why, you know. Mm. When you're doing something, you have to know why.
3: Um, yeah, yeah. Just, um, I agree that it's like it's sort of like an evolve with sort of thing. Because if you don't, then you you will get left behind. Like the especially in, in this game that we that we play that constantly changes um, in a series of years. Um, in regards to those, we've uh, already like discussed certain aspects that. Um, you help uh, coaches, uh, coaches with, and it's key for coaches to develop. Well, if uh, what sort of things do you do, uh, or wh- how do you play a part in developing it when a coach is struggling with that particular aspect? So, like a coach that may, in the past, in their in their past um, experiences, are just like literally followed whatever the above has said and taken as gospel and not really been reflected and just gone through the motions like how do you challenge um coaches like that um
1: well again i mean i it's
3: sort of in danger
1: of giving you this, saying the same thing and repeating myself but you know it's important for the coach to know their own beliefs and values mm. and, and if the coach is very comfortable with following you know a, a direction from above and they believe in it and they can develop it then that's great yeah you know, not there's the, the the fact that um you know, institutions have strong beliefs and values themselves is not an evil it's a normal culture.
0: It's it's a good guidance mm. uh,
1: and it provides a good framework. If a co- if a coach is sort of you know s- struggling struggling with it, um, it could be for many different reasons. And and I, I think what I would encourage the coach to do is to just sit back, reflect, understand their own beliefs and values, uh, and uh, and then try and and then try and apply them. Um, I, it's, it's not a one answer it's not a one answer to this question because every situation might be slightly different. Um, But I would say in summary that it's, you know, if if an institution has a set of beliefs and values, it's not, it's not an evil. They could Mm. be actually add, add to your own, add to your own ones. And you can learn, you can learn a lot from them. Um, I I tend to think that, um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking quite broadly across sport now is when, from a technical tactical perspective, Um, I I prefer sort of looser um, principles, so allowing for more coach innovation and creativity. Mm -hmm. But in terms of behaviors and personal values, I'm not so loose. You know, I I think a culture, uh, the the culture of of an organization, in other words, the way things are done on a day-to-day basis I think if you don't fit that culture, you you, you don't belong. Whereas mm. if you have a slightly different variety and you want to innovate around the technique and the tactics and talent development, I think it's slightly different.
2: Uh, and, you know, I just wanted to just delve a bit deeper so you can see, I guess, your role. You know, you're working with a, with a few different environments at the moment. Do you, do you ever find it challenging in terms of you having your own personal philosophy and I guess some of the things that you've spoken about there and that maybe not being congruent with the, I guess, the environment that you've been placed in or that that you're you're working with or do you actively seek environments? And I know you touched slightly on this earlier, but actively seek environments that will be, I guess, welcoming your thought process of open arms Yeah, I
1: mean, you tend, one tends to end up in in environments that you're comfortable with anyway. Um, so there's a natural evolution there. I would say the most challenging thing for me is, you know, I'm quite passionate about coaching and development of coaches and, and in turn the improvement of players. And I suppose the most challenging thing for me is not um, that I disagree with coaches. It's that I try to impart my own ideas on them uh, too easily. Uh, and I, I suppose that's my, you know, that's my personal challenge is you, you know i i'm there to try and develop them and help yeah. them develop their own ideas and and if their own ideas are different to me then that's fine i don't have an issue with that that's absolutely if somebody's very strong on an idea that's exactly the opposite to mine and th- and it works and i'm absolutely delighted my yeah. personal challenge is to not implement my own thinking upon them too early
2: yeah hmm. I, I, th- I think really, it's definitely something that I've I have i have probably uh dealing with myself in terms of a similar challenge, you know. Certainly in my role as a as a, as a coach a career, we're working with different coaches and you know, naturally people from ask to be kinda of wanna come out from your perspective. Uh, but I think it's very important and I'm sure you'll agree that people are willing to be looking at it from your perspective, but they're the ones you have to you have to carry it out. Absolutely. So, it's about understanding what does the contest look like for them and how and what and how what does that mean to them in that respect
1: yeah the the worst thing that could happen for me is if a coach copied what I did because I told yeah. them it mm. uh, uh, you know that doesn't flatter me at all it doesn't that, yeah. that's to be the worst thing I think I was totally ineffective if that happened mm. whereas if they took something an idea that I'd given them and they tried it out and they tested it and they ripped it apart and put it back together and then they thought it was quite good then I think that was quite a good thing
2: <laughs> definitely And just just on that then in terms of Obviously supporting coaches in that manner what would you say is uh, would you say you're quite direct enough to straight to the point in, you know with your honesty about what your observations are or I guess the the coach on the other end feel a bit more comfortable with that
1: yeah I, and, and what I would say is I I, I I try to and I hope that I can adapt my approach to each individual that I work with um, and some players like uh, some coaches like it to be more direct at times, and yeah. other, uh, others don't. Um, you know, again, there's no one way to do it. And what I would also say is, it's also not only the individual specific, but it's context specific. So some sometimes a coach might like you to facilitate their own thinking, but in another context, that that same coach might like you to be more direct with them. Yeah. Um, and, and you know I think the the key to it is that all coach development should be individualized personalized and in context um so if you look at those if you look at those different things then you, you know it it all depends on the situation and the when I go wrong and the mistakes I make is when I get that wrong yeah um when I get it right, I, I hope I'm making, uh, you know, improving the coach's ability to uh, coach the players better.
2: Mm. Definitely. And just, just on that again, what, obviously working in the, in the pro game, as, 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 as people put it, there's obviously going to be people like yourself and they're going to have access to other coaches like that. What would your advice be to coaches or people running organisations, possibly in the grassroots community, around maybe how to Really foster that environment of that personal development, that conscious development. Because obviously, a lot of coaches, you know, everyone's outcome goal is different in the sense that some people set up an organisation because they want to create an environment for players to develop. Some other people set up organisations because maybe it's just it's purely a business for them. But would you mind just sharing what you feel are maybe some of the key, I guess, things that they can probably implement and maybe the benefits of those things in terms of actually developing. in that environment as one for coach development, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um I, I mean I, I I think one of the so I hope I'll try and answer the question and, and be of some benefit here. Um I think one of the things that gets mistaken in sport is we compare the top of the game with the development side of the game. Definitely. Um And in reality, professional sport is the entertainment business. You know, it's that we're putting high end people making a lot of money um, and the coaches, you know, the coaches working within it are still doing the same sort of job. But at the top end, it's the entertainment business and it's about winning and it's about results. Whereas, you know, even at the developmental side of the fence, and I would include academy football in developmental side of the fence, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, it it, it is more development goals. And, and, you know, this question of development versus winning, what I would encourage people to do is to think about the fact that winning is part of development. So very often results, it's not, there is. It's not the the match itself. It's the consequences of the matches that, that is the that is the big thing. Mm. So you, you know, if you if you set up an environment where there are there are consequences that affect development, then you're not going to be successful. So I'll give you an example. If you if you have eighteen young boys in a squad, and you pick your best eleven to play every time because you want to win the consequences are seven boys don't get playing time. Whereas if you put the 18 boys out and you equally distribute their minutes, but you still try and win, yeah. then it's a totally different result. Now, of course, that's a, you know, your listeners will think, well, that's a very crude, silly example. But I'm just trying to make the point. It, you know, you, Winning, preparing to win, dealing with failure, uh, the ups and downs of it, uh, the joy the joy of success which motivates people, uh, losing which spurs people on to be better, all of those things are part of development, not, mm. only, not only in the sport, but in life generally of, for, for the kids. Yeah. It's and it's, it's consequences sorry, just, that are the problems.
2: On that then, you know, just something that's kind of really sprung out to me as you were talking through that, and I think it's worth noting, football can be really useful in terms of but as a platform to actually use, or rather, it can be used as a platform where you can really bring together some transferable experiences. So, touching there, are things like you know, getting success dealing with failure, dealing with setbacks, um, whether that be motivation, I think it's As you talk to there, just really stand up to i coach, you're more conscious about how. Some of our life experiences can really transfer into the football context. And it doesn't have to be that any experience was the same, but it could be that, you know, um, after we have set back life, it might be, you know, we didn't get a job offer, or we didn't get a grade that we were for in school, or whatever that might be. It's how do we overcome that? And I think looking at it on a more holistic level, a simplistic level as well, in that take some of those concepts and apply them within our day-to-day of coaching and develop ourselves as coaches but also lend that experience to develop develop our players Um, I think something that you said there for me is that it is about overall development and winning is part of that and I think a lot of coaches do go down this route of thinking it's one or the other.
1: Yes, yes and, and, and uh, you know I'm, I'm pretty opinionated about that um, it's not one or the other yeah, you know I, I often use the expression more in tennis actually that losing is a really good thing l- l- losing losing gives you lots of lessons that you learn losing, losing inspires you to be better and, and sets you goals Winning is a really good thing. It teaches you to have humility in, in victory. You know, so all, all of these things that, that competition brings are fantastic life lessons. And I would absolutely encourage coaches to look at, look at their coaching from that perspective first, because you will get better sports people from it. Football, I mean, I've been completely blown away. Uh, by the level of responsibility that football has in society. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, before I came into it, I knew it was a big sport and had, an, had its tentacles in society a lot. But since I've been involved in it more, it is incredible the impact that football has on society and, and young boys. And I'm delighted to say young girls now actually mm. uh, starting to come into in, into football. Um, it, it is is a tremendous uh, it's, it's a tremendous sport for that, and I would encourage coaches to understand that winning and losing is part of development. It's the consequences of winning and losing you've got to look at, not the competition itself.
3: Hmm. Yeah. And uh, just in terms of uh, like your previous and current roles, uh, what are some of the things that you have learned about leading and managing others um,
1: uh, okay. <laughs> that's a good question your question is thought provoking <laughs> um, uh, I, I suppose um, I mean there's so many different contexts of, of, of leadership Ben I mean I led a, in tennis I led a department with 60 people in it at one time um you know and and if you are if if you were to ask me then what was important, it was clarity of vision, alignment of everybody behind the purpose mm. um and actually not being too easy on my people, so you know- because i you know the the reason I've ended up in a people development there's the a reason I've ended up in a people development role is because I want to support people um so you know, my style as a leader was a co- was a coaching style, um, but what I found was when you led a led a big a team such as as big as that, you sometimes needed to put a little bit more pressure on them, a bit more positive tension, to get them to perform. But that's a totally different leadership context to something else mm. and, 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 and something else. Um, I think one of the things I one of the things I I reflected on, uh, you know, in my leadership journey um, was. Uh, I, I led best when I didn't didn't wait for permission so okay you know if I had an idea and I wanted to go go with it I went ahead and went with it um, whereas when I uh, was in a different position and I was perhaps a little bit more hesitant and I was waiting for permission then I wasn't as effective as a leader um, So that's, uh, you know, one thing. Why did you find Uh, that uh,
3: to be quite effective for you? um, I
1: I just thought, I I just think that uh, as a leader, if you're, you know, if if you're hesitant, um, your people don't have as much confidence in you. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, I led big departments through lots of organizational change which is very, very difficult if people have been in it. Many listening to this will have probably been in organisational change. It's quite difficult. And, and if the leader is hesitant, then it's not very helpful. Um, whereas if there's a real clear direction and confidence from the leader, um, then that helps leading, leading people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, leadership's a long, long, long discussion. Um, but I think those would be some of the things that spring,
3: spring Sorry, to my we'll mind. we'll save for part two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh just uh, like in terms of your journey you've, you've obviously like in your current role being quite like a big uh, influence on in some of the the coaches within Chelsea's academy and uh in the Premier League ECAS uh, program but like for you who is uh being like a major influence in your journey and like, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from them um Well, I think a very influential
1: person in my journey was my original coach. Um, In in fact, actually, my original coaches, um, they had a tremendous impact upon me. Um, And I glanced to my right of my bookshelf to see a book on there that's uh, probably almost 45 years old um, that one of my coaches gave to me. Um, And, you know, I had. I had two key coaches in my teens. Uh, They were both very, very different. And the way in which they coached me shaped the way I thought for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, And again, you know, I I think as younger coaches, don't underestimate the massive impact you have on the lives of the people that you coach. Um, One of the tough things in coaching is you don't get that feedback
3: Mm.
1: every now and again. You know, I mean, this is—it's this is, funny you should ask this. This is an absolute true story. I had a message on LinkedIn yesterday from a uh, from a from a guy who's now thirty nine years of age, and he's a national coach in Canada. Um, and he was talking about all of the influence I had in on him when he was in his early teens yesterday, actually. Cool. Um and it's very rare you get that feedback as coaches, but you are. Uh, you are a, a massive influence on the young people's and their the way they think about their lives, much much more than you realise. So my early coaches were very very influential for me. One was uh, actually one was a very pragmatic type of coach, uh, didn't like any messing around, was very you know straight to the point. Uh, and another one was an extreme was extremely into po- what we now would now know as positive psychology. So, you know, I, I believe that they both gave me something that lasted all my life. And, and of late, I found people that, um, you know, that, that can challenge my thinking. I've got a certain friend who works in business um, and he challenges my thinking. Um, and these days we would call them mentors. Um, but he's just a friend that, that I can speak to about where I am and, and, and he, he challenges me. And I would encourage people to do that, you know, I would encourage people to find people that that they can talk to and they can challenge them in this sort of this mentoring role Um, and be open minded enough to take the criticism. I think one one of the things I'm thinking quite a lot about coaches is not only how to help them giving feedback to players, but also how to receive feedback themselves. Mm. It's quite an important skill, I think. And again, it's in the critical thinking area.
2: Definitely. Just just on that, then. What would you say is the biggest bugbear when it comes to coaching, then?
1: My my biggest bugbear. Yeah. uh, This is the way, this is the only way to do it type approach. Um, And coaches that are there for coaches, not for players. You know, we're there there for players in, in whatever environment, whether we're a recreational swimming coach. Or whether or high performance working at the, in the first team in the Premier League, we're there for we're there for players, um, and we're there to serve. You know, coaches are there to serve players, basically. So, if it's uh, all about the coach, and it, and there's only one way to do it, uh, I'm probably thinking that that's not not so um, not so clever. Um, yeah. and, and then of course, there's all the social issues around. You know that 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 exist in the world today that that come into the coaching world because it's it's a it's coaching is a big part of society. So you know non-inclusive environments, I can't stand. Um, as you would, you know, the, all of the sort of things that you would, expect, you would expect. Yeah, and
2: just on that, you know, you talk about being there for the players, serving the players. Now, the club that you're, you know, you're working quite closely with right now, obviously Chelsea. Yeah. I've got a massive history of, I guess, doing just that and produce, you know, bringing players through to, I guess, go from the youth development system into now becoming professional footballers. How would you describe the environment down at Cobham, um, and what would you say the key ingredients that are, I guess, there as part of that recipe to year on year produce players at the highest level?
1: Well, they well they have
2: an they they have
1: an amazing leader in the academy there um, who is uh neil bath uh who is incredibly development minded um is incredibly uh uh empathic with the, the children and the parents uh, and the coaches um and incredibly developmentally or, orientated doesn't mean like everywhere else they're not really committed to winning but it's kept in the con- it's kept in the right context and and you know the consequences of of winning and losing are 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 developmental mm. so and and you know like everything else um leadership is the leadership is the key there
2: and what would you say you know that you've observed from Neil in that respect that i guess put him in a position to be a great leader
1: um yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know Neil's background was uh, was working, you know, outside the academy, working in. Um, in uh, I think he was working in leisure in the leisure industry. Yeah, uh, so had a high level of uh, management and leadership um, ability before he came into it, in, into football, uh, into the football academy, seventeen, eighteen years ago, I believe. Uh, I mean, I don't know that much about this, but uh, you, you know, it certainly shows in the way he manages and leads the team, mm-hmm. um, and and the, uh, the the culture with which he creates for the coaches. The, I mean, I, what what I've, I, and again, you know, I say this generally because I, I go to quite a few clubs with the Premier League work, and this applies to not only uh, Cobham but also the other clubs that I go to. The care for the kids is immense. You know, what, what, what? again, what I see in football is just is so good. Um, and it was, you know, particularly irritating for me uh, The uh, during the lockdown. I saw an article about Bayern Munich and not going to bring in young kids into their programme. And everybody jumping on that bandwagon of, isn't this great that they're not doing this with kids so young? But if you saw the Marcus Rashford interview on television this morning, about how he talked about how he, his mum struggled to feed him when he was a young boy, and how Manchester United took him in earlier and provided him with that support framework. For me, that's the other side of the coin. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, I think I, 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 the way in which not just Cobham, but the other academies that I go to, the way in which they care for the kids, provide a structure and a framework uh, is, is really admirable.
2: Yeah. And then yeah, just on, on that, then what would you say are some of the key things that you've observed in players now that, have, that would separate those that have gone on to be successful and maybe those that have maybe just fallen short slightly?
1: Um, well, I think that,
2: you know, the, the,
1: the, when you're sort of thinking about going on to be successful, I, I assume you're talking about graduating from academy into first team football.
2: Precisely.
1: Um, You know, there are many other definitions of it, but that's a that's a clear one. Um, I I, I think the the modern day footballer he has to have a strong degree of all four performance elements: Mm. his mentality, his physical, his his technique, and his tactical understanding. Um, and. You know, it's quite interesting. It's a good debate, this one, because people often say, "Yeah, at the top of the game, it's it's eighty percent mental." Well, well, it's it's eighty percent mental mm. because you've got the foundation of the other things. <laughs> you know, you you you, mm. you you can't you can't be a real top footballer with no ability, but just a great attitude. You can do quite well, but the, the top ones, you have to have everything. So you have to have a real good attitude to learn well when you're young. You have to be open to advice. You have to have a bit of self-confidence. You have to have some natural athleticism. Um, again, top sport is played so quickly and so fast. You know, there is, an, there is a, a, a natural athleticism that's in there. doesn't mean that an average athlete can't train like hell and become physically quite good. But it's a real combination of everything. Um, and I suppose the best answer is if you don't have if you have a big chunk missing, you're not going to get through.
2: Mm -hmm. And just, um, you know, moving forward onto your, yourself as Simon Jones, someone who's coached development, you've had a long-standing background in the tennis industry. And now you're moving into, you know, you've now got more of a foothold in the football industry in particular. Um, what would you say is the thing that's, I guess, kept you motivated and, I guess, inspired to always be at your best? And, you know, what would you say those motivating factors are? and is there any tangible things that maybe some of the coaches or listeners can take away and maybe try and apply within their own context? And I think I've got an idea that you may say something along the lines of, you know, it's about being passionate and finding find out the reason why you're going to do what you're doing and really having a, a real affinity to that. It would just be interesting to I could hear your thoughts
1: on that. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of got the answer really. I mean, I, I, I think there's an expression, um, you know, instead of, instead of finding something to do that you're passionate about, be passionate mm. about what you do. Yeah. You know, and you know, I'm, I'm a believer in, you know, I used to, when I, when I work with players, I tell them this is it's really a, a matter of choice. It's a decision. You know, you, you can make a decision to be passionate about something, actually. Um, and I'm very passionate about uh, trying to help coaches coach better. Yeah. Basically, it's I've lived it all my life and I'm very passionate about it. And is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's frustrating at times. Every, everything's frustrating. Um am frustrating because sometimes I don't hit the mark. Sometimes I don't get it right. I don't, help the individual the way I wanted to thought I was doing it right and didn't. But, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about trying to see others be successful. Mm -hmm. Actually, Um, you know, in in tennis, I had some good, uh, I've got some medals and some things, um, which I'm quite proud of. And they sit in my toilet. I doubt (laughs) it. (laughs) Um, But but I'm quite, yeah, okay. I'm quite happy, you know, I'm quite passionate about seeing the coaches that I work with be, be successful.
2: Definitely, yeah, I, think, I think that's it. I, I think, I mean, fundamentally I think it is about being passionate about whatever you do and I think what, what I hope really get listeners to understand through the course of these podcasts and these episodes that we're putting out is that there is many ways in which you can have a career within the football industry and I think a lot of people are very narrow, narrow focused down on the idea of okay, I want to be a coach, I want to be a coach, I want to be a coach. But over time, hopefully, you'll start to see within insights from different people that we're going to get on, including yourself and other people like you. That there's actually different pathways within the game, and and just having a bit more of an open mind and actually, you know, you never know, you might have a passion in another industry that can be transferable in the football industry. Yeah, you know, like similar to yourself, I feel. Where I started my journey was a, a lot more focused. One, actually, I want to, I want to become a football coach. I want to do this. I want to do that. I, I think I've now shifted. Actually, I just want to help people get better. Yeah. Um. And I think it's understanding. You know, coming back to right at the top of this discussion when you talked about asking those questions, the where the questions, the what questions, the why questions, and really trying to get a deeper understanding of, and clarity around what's actually happening here as a process. Uh, I think is fundamental today.
1: Yeah, yeah, m- m- most most definitely. You know, uh, the, the, you, you're to have pa- to 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 live to live your life with passion is is one of the mm. best things that you can do. Yeah, um, and um, you know, I I, keep, I I said it before in this in this conversation. You're very lucky in football. It's a tremendous thing to be involved in. Um and especially in you know this country where there's lots of resources with lots of clubs and you know big big organizations that help um i, I would encourage coaches to mm. to see the positive side of that um,
3: um,
1: and and you know and develop uh, and and also see the the idea that they you, you know you you're as a coach you're you're first and foremost an inspirational leader of young people you know you're which is in, the talent, is in the talent development world, not so um, much a coach, you know, not so much a football coach. You're an inspirational leader of young people. And, and you guys, everybody listening on this call can do amazing things
2: for kids out there. They won't
1: see it. They won't often see it, but they can have a
2: tremendous influence on young
1: people's lives.
2: And I think ultimately those young people, were, you know, when they do grow up, they will remember those things.
1: They will. They will. And just sometimes they'll write a letter you know, just very rarely they will write They'll look up their yep. old coach and they'll drop them a note, and that's just amazingly rewarding. But very often, but most of the times not. Mm. But it will remember their coaches.
3: Yeah, just forever. as we, um, definitely, you know, winding down this, as uh, like we we like to we like to keep it real on this podcast. So like uh, you've spoken about a lot of the the benefits that. You do bring um, to coaching, but I'm sure you've seen some stuff that you are not best appeased by. So, like, what is like the bugbears that you see in coaching? That you've been (laughs) now involved in coaching for 30 plus years. Um, If you're to just turn the time back and talk to a young Simon Jones, uh, just starting off as he's uh, still in his uh, tennis-playing career, uh, what would you tell them? Easy answer.
1: Easy. Mm. I'd tell him to ask, people, uh, ask more, get people's opinions more. When, when, when you're a young coach coming through, it's very difficult to ask, to get feedback, because you're insecure about your ideas, you're finding your way. You're not sure; it's a little bit competitive. You want to, you want to be seen to be a knowledge or in some
2: way or form.
1: Just ask. I wish I'd asked a lot more when I was younger. I would have learned a lot more, a lot quicker.
2: Uh, definitely. And just you know, just you know, so thirty odd years or thirty, thirty plus years, rather, than maybe even coming close to forty years in <laughs> the industry now. Careful, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just going. I think Ben remembers from the start of his coaching journey as well.
3: Uh,
2: but what's next? What, what is next for Simon Jones? You know, you've, you've gone from working in tennis, having a, a bit of a career as a player, moving into coaching, and then now you know transitioning over the years now into football, and you've got a bit, you know a bit of a foothold in the football industry and. Working alongside doing work for the Premier League, what, what what's next for you?
1: Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm particularly keen to, to do what I'm doing better, okay. um, and, and and to improve. I'm not I'm not coming into this thing thinking of all this all of these years I've cracked it. Um, so I'm doing quite a lot of uh, you know research and study myself on seeing what best practices and getting feedback and trying to find ways in which I can do this better. Yeah. Um, uh, one one of the ways in which I'm doing uh, I'm doing that, and, and we'll do a little bit more, is to try and venture into areas outside my comfort zone, um, which will be really outside of the sporting environment. So just uh, you know, trying to work, uh, do a little bit of um, get a little bit of experience in perhaps uh, education or business to just see yeah. to test myself. Actually, I mean, sport is my great passion um but uh, you know i think there are areas to to test myself in like that but i'm particularly keen to do this to do this really really well and you know if i'm if somebody entrusts their time with me i want to i want to know that i'm giving them the best possible uh support that i can do Uh. um and uh you know it's it's a constant learning journey for for me that one um you know i I I don't have any aspirations to uh you know become beca- from <laughs> the interpreter into the manager <laughs> mm. or, or 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 anything like that, that that's not that, it's that's not worth stress is it that's not worth well <laughs> it's worth the millions but no. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. I'm not comparing myself to Jose. Uh, but, I, you know, that, that's not what I'm after. Uh, at, at this moment in time, I'm very passionate about what I'm doing and, and can see that the better I do it, the better the coaches can be and the better the players can be. And uh, that's something I'm hmm. very focused on trying to improve all the time.
2: Fantastic. And just, on another, just another final one then. You know, if you had 60 seconds now to kind of wrap it up, one golden nugget for our listeners to kind of take away and maybe apply in their own, uh, in their own practice, in their own context, what would that be?
1: Well, um, I think that, you know, having spoken on this, I'd say really understand your own beliefs, um, work on your critical thinking skills and ask a lot of people. Be open to learning. Know that you know, great learners are curious people and with curiosity comes vulnerability. And I know if any coaches are are out there that are, you know, pretty established and senior coaches and they're they're, they're well, they've got a really good position in the game. It's harder to be vulnerable um, and and curious, but Mm -hmm. I would encourage them to ask a lot and keep learning.
2: Fantastic. So I just want to say, you know, thank you again. It's been a very, very uh, enjoyable conversation with you today. I've I've certainly taken away um a lot from it myself. Definitely. I'm sure Ben and the listeners will have too. Um, some great insights, plenty of golden nuggets for you know everyone to take away and apply there. I just want to say thanks again for you know being available for us to kind of be on the show. And Simon, I'm not sure if you've got any social media handles in, or in which uh some of the listeners could get in touch. You should they need to or want to.
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, and I'm also on Twitter. I don't don't do much, but I'm on Twitter and uh, my uh, handle is
2: s i one o s. Right. So if you see any um, any of those tweets <laughs> in <laughs> secret Twitter, look out those tweets and then check out that check out that Twitter